Hi, and welcome to Women in Foreign Policy. This month, we're gonna be talking about time management. This actually came up as part of a conversation I was having with someone that I interviewed for our new assistant producer role. So some of you may remember Rachel. Um, over the course of the past month or two, she has had to um, step back and we've been looking for a new person to join our team. But over the course of the interviews that I was doing for this role, I had a really interesting conversation with one of the interviewees about time management and how, especially once you sort of leave undergrad or even leave graduate school and leave that academic environment, it can become really difficult to know how to manage your time. And it's sort of something that's a learned skill set that no one really gives you any tips on or teaches you how to do. So this month, I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've learned in the past five years or so about time management, and we'll also have a couple of other members of the Women in Foreign Policy team who will talk to you about their time management tips towards the end. The first thing that I think is really crucial for someone to tell young women or sort of people who are just getting started in a certain area is like, you can say no later. If now it works or now it sounds good and now it's something that you want to be doing, that's great. We love that for you. However, if later on you have outgrown it or if you have decided it's not a great fit or like sometimes people present something to you as one kind of opportunity and then you get into it and you're like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. If it's a volunteer opportunity, you can say no. Like, Later on, you can be like, hey, this is a bad fit, or it's taking more of my time than I want to give, or it is not suiting me, I'm not building the skills that I wanted to be building. A lot of this is geared towards a volunteer uh, experience. Certainly, if you're doing like paid work, a lot of this is not going to be optional, right? You can quit a job, of course, we all know that. But a lot of my advice here is sort of about like volunteering or other obligations on your time that aren't necessarily like your job or your friends, that kind of thing. So you can say no later. And whether that's, hey, I've been here for a couple of years and I really feel like it's time for me to be intentional about my time commitments. Um, or maybe it's, I've been here for a couple of years and I've grown and I love this role in this organization, but it's time for me to step away. Um, you don't actually have to give a reason. No is a complete sentence. I think we all like to say this. Um, it's a great aphorism. No is a complete sentence. So you can say, hey, uh, this has been an enriching experience. This has been a good experience for me, but I need to now step back. And that can be the end of the sentence. That can be the end of the conversation. Um, a good organization will probably also have some kind of survey or um, exit interview for you so that you can say like, here's what was great, here's what could be improved, um, here's maybe why I left as much of that as I'm willing to disclose. Um, but you can say no later. And it's totally normal to leave a volunteer role after a certain period of time. One other thing that I really like to do when I'm looking at new volunteer roles is to set a timeline for myself. So to say, I am willing to commit to this for three months or six months or a year. And at that point, I want to reevaluate. And this is something that I really recommend doing at the outset. So when you're having that conversation with the person who wants to bring you on board as a volunteer or something similar, just be really upfront and say like, 
I'm willing to commit to this for X amount of time. And it's helpful for you if you've kind of thought about what that's going to be going in. Um, what amount of time are you willing to commit to a certain project, a certain organization? What amount of time can you reasonably commit? How long is the way you spend your days going to look more or less like it does now? If you're about to go to school, if you're about to move, if you're thinking of changing jobs, if you're about to have a big life event like a wedding, None of these things are going to let you keep the same amount of free time and keep the same rhythm to your time. So if any of that is coming up in the time frame that you're thinking about volunteering for something, I think it's best to just say like, this is not a good fit right now. Let me come back to it after this major event, after I've had time to settle in, after whatever that thing is. And then you'll have a better sense of your time moving forward and you won't get kind of trapped into a role where you thought you would have plenty of time for this, but actually all of those things that you thought you could manage just fine are now taking up way more of your time than you prepared for. This is also important just because it gives you a time to check in and say like, here's what's not working for me. Here's what is working for me. Here's what I'd love to see more of. Um, and then at that check-in, you can also say, here's how much more time I see myself committing to this. So I think that is a great, um, a great option for when you are checking in at that six month or one year mark. Um, and then you can also say, you know, at six months, I need to go. I have borne out the commitment that I made to you and I have done this finite length of time. And one other thing that finite length of time gives you is that if it's terrible, like if you're not enjoying this role or if this organization is poorly managed, but you don't really want to jump out without any warning, you just say, hey, I committed to this for six months or three months or six weeks. So I know that at the end of it, I can just say, okay, that's the end of my commitment. And thank you for your time. They'll say thank you for your time because you're the volunteer. And then you'll just bail. The last thing that I really wanted to hit here is thinking about not just like how much uncommitted time you have, but how much of your time that you're not spending doing anything else you're willing to commit. Now that might sound like kind of the same thing, but I want to think about like, each day has 24 hours. If I'm working full time, I'm working at least eight hours a day probably. If I then have maybe a book club, they meet an hour a week. Um, I have, you know, exercise that I wanna do for one hour a day. We're already at nine hours. I need eight hours of sleep at a minimum. That's 17 hours of my 24 hour day. So like, I, you can see how the time is already racking up. I need to cook and eat meals. That's what like conservatively three hours a day, but probably closer to five. Um, and you wanna go out with friends and you wanna see people and go for coffees and things. And so like time gets eaten up really, really quickly. What you need to ask yourself when you're looking at a new commitment is not just how much free time do I have, but how much of my free time am I willing to eat into? In my life right now, I probably only have about four to five hours of free time a day. And that includes cooking dinner, that includes getting ready for bed, that includes any reading that I want to do, any friends that I want to talk to after work, any exercise that I want to do. Um, and so that gets eaten up really quickly. So what you have to ask yourself is, in my you know 20 free hours in the work week and my 
weekends? How much of that time am I willing to commit to this organization? And if they're asking for a 20 hour a month commitment, that's roughly five hours a week. So really put that into context for yourself. Are you willing to spend an hour every workday on this extra volunteer gig or a chunk of five hours on the weekend every weekend for this volunteer gig? If the answer is no, you should be really reevaluating whether this is the right fit for you at the right time. Something else I would really encourage you to do is take a lot of time to get really specific about the expectations. What you want to avoid here is expectation creep where you come on as sort of one role or a very finite list of duties or they kind of gave you like a vague description of the expectations for what you would be doing and then suddenly over time or maybe not even over time maybe just like over a series of like three or four conversations as you're coming on board you suddenly realize oh you have like much larger expectations of me than I anticipated like this is a bigger ask than I thought it was. And maybe that's a miscommunication on their part. Maybe that's a misunderstanding on your part. Maybe you were talking past each other, whatever. You can end up in those situations and that's nothing to do with you necessarily. That's not necessarily your fault. But um, one of the ways you can avoid that is by asking quite a lot of questions up front. I have had the benefit of being onboarded by a really good volunteer onboarding process. And I have also been onboarded by some pretty terrible onboarding, <laughs> um, not naming any names. Uh, but one of the things that I found that stood out to me from those really good onboarding processes was that they had really clear enumerated expectations going in. And they even said, hey, we want you to commit for about a year. If you're doing any of the following things in the next year, probably wait this one out and circle back after those things have happened in your life so that you know what kind of time you can commit. We're also looking for this amount of time per week. Um, we expect people to be able to take vacations up to this long without kind of notifying us and taking a more formal pause. Um, and then here is how the onboarding process works. Here's the timeline, here's what you'll need, here's everything documented and written out so that you can do it in your own time asynchronously. Um, and th those are all hallmarks for me of a really good onboarding program where they are setting boundaries at the very beginning. They're telling you what they expect from you, what you can expect from them in terms of support. And then they're saying like, hey, these are some reasons it might not be a good time for you to come on board right now. We'd love to have you later when you're going to be a little bit more capable of managing the, t the task or managing the workload well. So those are my really big time management tips. Um, I wanted to go ahead and pivot and hear from the other people here on the Women in Foreign Policy team who sent over some, um, some voice notes about their time management tips. We have a really wide variety of people on the team, all of whom have some really incredible life experience. So I'm really excited to get to share this with everyone. Hello, my name is Shreya and I am an events officer at Women in Foreign Policy. I think the most valuable lesson I've learned over the years is not on any particular time management strategy, but rather on the definition of time management in the first place and what it really means to have effective time management skills. I used to believe that I had excellent time management skills back at university because I always got everything done on time and with fairly satisfactory results, I thought. Um, however, over time, I realized that I, in fact, was lacking in a time management strategy when burning the midnight oil multiple times a week led to eventual burnout. 
So I would say that time management for me is not just about getting tasks done on time and to the best of my abilities, but rather it is more about doing tasks in a way that also prioritizes time to rest and reset and time for mental and physical health. It's a simple lesson, but I think that it makes all the difference. Hi, my name is Livy, and I currently work part-time for an international affairs organization. Uh, my tip for time management is one that will help maybe people who also have a specific learning disability like myself. Um, I find uh, I can get really distracted quite easily and can be overwhelmed very easily when I have a lot of things to do. So I really rely on the Pomodoro technique. So working for 20 minutes, five minutes off for a break. This helps me even just to get started. I might not necessarily use this throughout the day, but maybe just in the first like hour or so, I find I get a lot of anxiety around starting tasks um, because I feel like I might do it wrong. Uh, this is a good way to kind of combat that. I also find just writing down what I have to do in a calendar or on my phone and maybe even writing it down more than once just really like brings it home to me. Okay, this is when I have to do this by. Um, and just putting in those reminders, I think um, it's easy to kind of get distracted or think you have more time than you do. Um, I tend to try and put things in a day ahead of when I'll actually need them done by, just so that I can think, okay, if I need to make any edits or any changes by this point, I've got an extra day just in case anything goes wrong. Thanks. Thank you again to those members of our Women in Foreign Policy team who submitted audio. Um, I think they had some really great advice. Um, I'm really happy that we could share that with the listeners. If this episode was useful for you, we would love to hear that. Um, if you have time management tips that you want to share with the community, I would love to see those. You can tweet at me. Um, you can also post or like tweet at the Women in Foreign Policy team or DM us on Instagram. Like Whatever methods of contact you want to use to get in touch with us, we have almost all the social media. I would love to hear your time management tips or anything you thought about these. So I think that about wraps it up for this week. I would be really grateful if you could subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Uh, it helps us get to be seen by more people and find more listeners and get this advice out to the rest of the women in foreign policy community. If you want to see more of the content from our organization, you can subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter. That's available on the website, womeninforeignpolicy.org. That's going to have a ton of information on the podcast and a bunch of other resources that we have for you. Uh, an issue just came out this week. It's amazing. Go check it out. You can follow the organization's Twitter at WomenInFP. And if the work we're doing means a lot to you, if you can, please consider supporting us either via PayPal at Lucy Goulet or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. Goulet is G-O-U-L-E-T. We are an all-volunteer team, so that means your support goes even further. Um, this is a volunteer commitment. We're doing this uh, in our spare time, in our free time, and it is a commitment. Um, we love the work we do. We absolutely couldn't do it without listeners like you. Thank you all so much, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.